Bibles this morning to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 10 uh, this morning. We... um, I titled, and I always give a title to a message, and I do it uh, for two reasons. One, it, it helps me to formulate in my mind, what is it that I really want to communicate to you? And then also just for us to, to, to know where we're going in this study this morning. And I titled this morning's message, The Chosen Stone and His Chosen People. And this last week... Last Sunday, we, we finished in verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But I want to elaborate on that a little bit more leading into the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. In the first 12 verses of this letter, Peter shared with us the glorious salvation that we all have as Christians. The first exhortation... Uh, in light of that great, exor- uh, great salvation that we have is in verse 13 where Peter said that we are to gird up the loins of our minds. In verse 14, he says, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts. In verses 15 and 16, he says, be holy in all of your conduct. In verse 17, Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And then in verse 18, he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Peter, he reminds us in in verses 22 to 25 that it's the power of God's Word that will change us. It's the obeying of God's Word that will change us. Loving our brother from a pure heart. He reminds us that all flesh is like grass that withers. And the glory or the best of man is like a flower that falls away. But the Word of the Lord endures forever. Peter is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 to 8. Peter knew his Word like we should know our Word. We should know our Bibles. Peter, in writing this letter, he's quoting verses that these people reading it, many of them would have known. He's reminding them with God's Word. We finished last week in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, with a therefore. It starts with a therefore, brothers and sisters, I add, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And I want to say this, that this is only speaking to Christians. You see, we're the only ones that have the ability through Christ, through His Holy Spirit, through the work of God in our lives, to lay aside these things. You know, the non-believer doesn't have the ability. He's led around by his, uh, his sin. 
we have the ability through the Holy Spirit, through the power of God, to lay aside these things. He goes on in verse 2 and he says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And I have to say that if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this morning, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You have tasted of his mercy in your own life. But we're called as newborn babies to desire the pure milk of the word. A newborn baby, I don't know if you ever noticed, but a newborn baby has no desire naturally or instinctively for any other food except for milk. That baby wants milk when it's first birthed into this world. He wants milk from his mother. We don't teach even newborn babies to look for bottled food or for baby food in a bottle. We don't teach them to want to desire other foods. They, they simply desire milk from their mother. Peter gives us this picture of this pure milk. It's the only thing really that satisfies a baby. It's the only thing that really causes the, the early days of growth in a, in a baby. They, we later are called to, to start eating meat. But Peter describes this desire like an infant, like a baby desires pure milk, that we also would desire the pure milk of God's Word. It's important to note that this pure milk is not just speaking of the elementary things that we might learn in the Bible. You know, the ABCs of our Christian faith. You see, taking in the milk of the Word is also for those that are older in Christ, those that are more mature in Christ, that we too would desire, like a newborn baby, as mature Christians, that we would desire to know the truths, the doctrines of God's Word. It's always a a sad thing to see somebody that's been a Christian for a while been a Christian for a lot of years, and they start losing that excitement for the Word of God, to be open, to be read. You know, I've heard that before. I've been through that book before many times. But a newborn Christian, how zealous they are to want to know the, the truths that are just coming forth from these pages into their hearts. We should remain that way. We shouldn't stop longing for the pure unadulterated, pure Word of God. There's a lot of books. There's a lot of reading material that's out there. We all probably have devotions in our house. We read devotions, we read commentaries, we read other books. And as good as those books are, and there are many that are good, and there are many that we might read, there's nothing that compares to the pure milk of God's Word. We should desire it above all other things that we might read. 
that we would spend time knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ through his word. The pure milk of the word is the only thing that will help you to stay away and to to put aside malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. You see, every time you pick up the Word of God and you spend time in the Word of God, God should be doing a work in your heart. You should be allowing Him to work in your heart, to search your heart, to see if there be any wicked way in me. That I would say, God, if there's something within me that you're wanting to correct, God, would you show me those things from your Word? Peter, he knew the cleansing effect of the pure Word of God in the life of a believer. He says, desire it like like an infant would, like an infant wants milk. Continue to desire the pure milk of God's Word. We read in the book of Psalms in chapter 12, verse 6, it says this, the words of the Lord are pure words, They're like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You can trust the Word of God. This is God's Word to the church, to you and I, to believers. You can trust it. It's purified. It's pure. In Psalm 19, verse 7, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure. The uh, is sure, excuse me, making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine silver. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. God's Word. I hope that we're all treasuring it in our hearts. I hope that we're desiring to know it more. I hope that we're spending time in it more than we ever have. Because it's the only thing that's really, truly going to satisfy you and give you victory in your life. Give you hope. Give us those things that we need to to know about God. The psalmist also wrote in Psalm 119, verse 40, he says, Behold, I long for your precepts, And then he says this, revive me in your righteousness. I long for your precepts. I long for those things that you want to teach me from your word. Do you? Do you long for those things? Are you an open vessel that you're willing to say before God, God, show me those areas of my life that that I need to be walking more wholeheartedly towards you that I needed to be that I need to put these things away and follow you with a whole heart. It's a promise to those who have a great desire 
God wants to speak to us. If you ever have a hard time hearing God's voice, it's probably because you're not spending enough time in His Word. Spend time in the Word of God and you will hear the voice of the Lord. He'll speak to you from it. My prayer for each of you is that you would feed upon the Word of God. That you would be strengthened by the Word of God. That you would grow thereby. And that's our source of growth. That I would grow by His Word. Grow in His Word. Grow in my understanding. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're coming up short on faith, if you're you're lacking faith, coming up short with it, you need to spend more time learning the promises of God, looking at the Word of God. This morning, we're going to look at the chosen stone. And we're going to look at God's chosen people. Look at your Bibles at verse 4. It starts, and Peter starts with the words, coming to Him. That Him is Jesus here. Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. This is the third time that Peter uses this word precious. Valuable. He was rejected by men, but chosen by God the Father and precious, valuable. You see, coming to Him as a Christian is to approach Him. It's actually a verb, and it requires action on your part. To come to Him, uh, we come to Him in prayer, don't we? We come before God in prayer. We come before Him even this morning as we lifted up our voices and lifted up our hands before the Lord. We come before Him in worship when we come into the house of God. We come before Him when we open up the Word of God and we begin to read it. And when we come, we we should come in faith. We should come in faith believing that God wants to to bless, to minister to us in prayer and worship and in the Word of God. In Hebrews 11.6, we read, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He's the rewarder. Those who come to God. Peter says coming to Him as to a living stone. I love that. We come before the living stone. We come in boldness as New Testament Christians. We come into His presence and can come into His presence with boldness. We have access to the living God. In Hebrews 10.19, we read this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, 
and having a high priest over the house of God, he goes on to say, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What a privilege we have. That we can actually come before the living God with boldness, in faith, we can come before Him. How do we come to Him? How do we come before Him? Peter says, coming to Jesus as a living stone. Drawing near in our faith. Drawing near to Him in our boldness. Drawing near with strong desire as to a living stone. You see, the living stone is Jesus Christ. The word is also rock. He's our rock. He's our stone. And it's not a dead stone like the pagan gods that couldn't speak. We come before Him as a living stone. One that can minister to us. Jesus, who is our living Savior. Jesus, who is our risen Lord. We come before Him in worship. We come before Him in devotion. And we even demonstrate our need for Him when we draw near to the One who is our stone, our living stone. How needy are you this morning? How in need of, are you of Him and drawing near to Him? I have to say that you probably are hungry for that. It's why you're here, hopefully, to draw near to Him, to come before Him, to come before the rock, our stone, our living stone. Listen to David in Psalm 18. In verse 1, this is a psalm of David, we're told, the servant of the Lord, who spoke spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And David said, I will love you, O Lord, with my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, and my stronghold. Try praying that prayer. Try lifting that praise up before the Lord when you find yourself in the middle of the battle. Who do you run to? Who are you looking to for your strength? David, all of these, he's personalizing it. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strength. You see, we have that too. God, be my strength today. Be my fortress today. Be my shield. Be my salvation today. He's your rock. He's your living stone. In Psalm 61, verse 1, another psalm of David, he says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. 
From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. What's he say? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When is the last time that you cried out to the Lord in that way? When you found yourself in that place where you were crying out, there was years ago, I was self-employed, I had my own business, and I remember a, a time in that business where I really was saying, Lord, I think it's time to put this to rest. And I, and I, I came home to my family and I said, you know, I, I think the Lord has told me to shut the doors on the, on the business. I don't know what the Lord has for us, but this is what I do know. The Lord is on His throne. The Lord is in control. And Lord, Your will be done. And I remember reading out of Psalm 61 and how this psalm jumped off the pages into my heart. God, hear my cry. Hear my prayer. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You can pray that prayer. You can come before Him in that way. In Psalm 62, uh, verse 1, David again says, Truly my soul silently waits for God. From Him comes my salvation. And then he says this, He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He says He only is. You see, we sometimes run to a lot of different sources for help. But David knew that he only was his rock. He's the only one that would would bring that comfort and that peace. He goes on in verse 5 of the same psalm. He says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. What do you put your expectation in? David says, my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. Notice that he said in in verse, uh, verse 2, he says, I shall not be greatly moved. And as he gets through this psalm, he says, I will not be moved. He doesn't even use the word greatly moved. He says, I will not be moved. He was building in his strength even as he wrote that psalm. Even as he laid his heart out before the Lord. In God is my salvation and my glory. He's the rock of my strength. He's my refuge. His refuge was in God. He says, trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Notice how He he turns it on all of us. He's a a refuge for you. A refuge for us. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 1, Hannah prayed this after she received this blessing from the Lord. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. I hope that's the way that you see it. I hope that's the way that you look to the Lord. He's your rock. What do you think of a rock? Have you ever stood on a big one? A big boulder, a big, you know what I mean? They're not easily moved, are they? 
to stand upon that rock, to have trust in the living stone is what we're called to do. Peter went on in our text in verse 4. He tells us that this living stone was rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Rejected by men. We once may have rejected Him. And there are those today that reject Him. Not only as Messiah, but no, He's not the one we're looking for. No, He's not my Savior. He's not. They, they reject Jesus, the precious stone, was rejected by men. But in the Father's eyes, He was precious in the, in the sight of the Father. And, and the value of His Son was immeasurable. He sent Him down to this earth to go to a cross. To die on our behalf. That we might live the redemption. And it could only be done by His Son, Jesus Christ. That perfect sacrifice. Peter goes on in verse 5. He says, you also. He's speaking to, to you and I. You also, as living stones. Notice it's plural here. There's the living stone, and then there's the living stones. We're all, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you're a living stone. You're part of God's building. You're part of the church. And you're being assembled as stones in that building. It's a building project that we're in right now. The church age. And God is building His house. And it's not these walls. He's building His house by adding to His house those living stones. And we're being built up into a, a spiritual house. We're, we're being built up into a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Have you ever come to this place and felt very unworthy because of all your failures of that week? Your sin and your compromise? And then we still can come to this place and we can still come and say, God, would You forgive? Would You cleanse? And we can come before the Lord with these spiritual sacrifices that in the Father's eyes, He's holy and without sin. And through the Jesus Christ, going, we can come to this place. He's our intercessor. He's the one that goes on behalf before us and declares the righteousness of Himself that has been given to you. It's why we can come into this place boldly. Even though we're imperfect stones. By the way, Peter, he never said, as some people say, that he was the rock on which God would build his church. Man said that. Man is the one who has said that. Peter states clearly that Jesus is the rock and Him alone. And we are the stones, plural, 
that will be used in building God's spiritual house. Where the, where the, where the, the stones placed upon, the rocks placed upon the stone. If you know Him as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the spiritual house. You're part of His church. You are His holy priesthood in His spiritual house. And we all, as His holy priests, can day and night offer up spiritual sacrifices to our Lord. Isn't that incredible? The access that we have to Him. We can present our our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Paul wrote about that in Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's your reasonable form of worship to present your body as a living sacrifice unto God. God, I'm all yours. Do with me what you will. I'm yours. The sacrifice of praise. We did it this morning. We came into God's house and we lifted up our voices to the Lord. And hopefully we lifted up our our hearts and our minds to the Lord in the moment. The sacrifice of praise on our lips. In Hebrews 13.15, we read, Therefore by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. You see, if you have a struggle with really just worshiping the Lord, worshiping from a a heart of worship before the Lord, opening your lips before the Lord, you need to say, God, would you help me in this area? Because you see, this is part of God's house. It's why we come to this place, to praise Him, to worship Him, to lift Him on high. It's why we're here. We bring the sacrifice also of good works. You see, we're not saved by good works, are we? It'll never save you, but we're called to good works as believers. We bring the sacrifice of good works. You see, God is pleased with works that come from a child of God. Somebody that believes they're getting to heaven by their works, God is not pleased. He doesn't accept them. As a matter of fact, they're just as filthy rags. But when we come, and we come with the sacrifice of good works, when we come into this place, we're coming in to glorify God with our lives, with the things that He's called us to do as believers. We're called to to give our lives to Him and to give our lives for one another. We're called to go out and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We're called to good works and to do acts of kindness towards others. Paul in Ephesians 2.8 and 
9 and 10, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourself. It is the gift of God. He says, It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. There won't be any boasters in heaven, by the way. You won't be able to boast. You won't be boasting about your works. You won't be boasting that you got to heaven because of your good works. For we are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. There's the difference. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we're called to good works. The sacrifice of good works. It'll cost you to do good works. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. It'll cost you resources to be able to do those works unto the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Don't forget to do good. Don't forget to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He accepts your good works when they're done in the right way. When they're done unto Him, He is glorified in it. They're the sacrifices of your good works. We bring, when we come to this place, the house of God, we bring our sacrifices. We bring our possessions as a holy priesthood into this place. In Hebrews, um, or in Acts chapter 2, we see when the early church was birthed. We see Peter standing up in Jerusalem on that day and preaching the Gospel and 3,000 plus people came to a saving knowledge of Christ. It was these 3,000 plus people that became the birth of the early church. And we read about these new believers that they had the sacrifices of sharing their possessions with those in need. Look what it says in verse 45 of Acts 2. It says, Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you get the picture of what this early church was like? It was healthy. It was pure. They were doing what pleased God. They were giving the sacrifices of their possessions even to those that were in need. 
selling even property and doing those things. And are we called to sell all of our property? No, not necessarily, but we are called to realize that, you know what, my possessions, the things I have are God's. They're not mine. And God, if you call me to share my possessions, then I need to be obedient to you. There was this simplicity of heart that was in the early church. And these believers, they were praising God. And they went from house to house. It was just simplistic. The problem is we've complicated things today. We've made church complicated. The, the, the fact is we're all here as believers. We're here as just, just simply as we're all the same. We're just here as needy believers. And we should be looking out trying to minister to one another. When we see someone in need, God, what would you have me to do with that? The sacrifice of service. I shared with our young adults this last Friday on spiritual gifts. I shared with them and I, and I, and I asked them actually to seek the Lord. That they might seek the Lord and find out what their gift was or their gifts that God had given to them. I say the same thing to each one of us. What is the gift or gifts that God has given to you? The sacrifice of service in the house of God. And we need to find out how I might serve God and serve His people in this house. To use your gifts. To not neglect to use your gift. Because you know what? If you neglect, if you don't use the gift or gifts that God has given you, then you're robbing the rest of us. So listen to the voice of the Lord and do what God has called you to do. The sacrifice of service. If you don't know what your gift is, then begin to pray. God, would you show me where my strong points are, where my gifts are, that I might use those things in the house of God. By the way, the day you gave your life to Christ, you entered into the ministry. The ministry is not just for the pastors. It's not for the elders and leaders. It's for each and every one of us. You entered into the ministry. You're the priesthood. You see, the church building that we're gathered together in this morning is technically, it's not the church. We meet down at the church building on 402 Polo Road. But that's not really technically the church. You're the church. I'm the part of the church. We're the body of Christ. That's the church. You come to this place or should come to this place with spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. The holy priesthood, as Peter refers to uh, this holy priesthood, we come with sacrifices like the priests would come into the temple. We come into God's house with these sacrifices unto the Lord. Your bodies as living sacrifices unto the Lord. You bring your lips and your hands 
into this place and you lift up worship before the Lord. You bring your acceptable works into this place. You bring your possessions into this place. Your gifts to God. You bring your sacrifices of service into this place. You're His holy priesthood. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? His holy priesthood? You know, we read about the priests in the Old Testament, and we read about the high priest and the other priests. You're His holy priesthood. We're not the high priest of God's church. You see, He's the high priest. We're His holy priesthood within the church that God wants to use. In Acts chapter 4, verse 5, we read about Peter and John in chapter 3 where they had, they had healed a lame man. He was laying there at the gate of the temple and, and then the religious leaders heard of this, this miracle of God and, and they went out and they arrested Peter and John. And we're told that the next day, Peter was given an opportunity to preach the gospel to these religious leaders. We read in Acts 4-5 that it came to pass on the next day that these rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set Peter and John in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this, speaking about the miracle that was performed? Then Peter, we're told, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. He begins to to preach to them. He begins to speak to them. By what power have you done this? And, and notice it's the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit that opened the mouth of Peter. He says, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, then let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And then he says this to them, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders. They were the ones that were supposed to be the builders. These were the high priests. These were the religious men that were over the nation of Israel. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, he says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
these religious leaders were told they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, if you spend time with the Lord, you spend time in prayer, you spend time in His Word, you spend time drawing close to the Lord, and you say, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you empower me to go out and be a witness? Do you think God will use you in a powerful way? I, he will. God will use you in powerful ways if you just put yourself in that place. Even these religious leaders saw their boldness. What did they see? They saw their boldness as they opened their mouth and they were perceived that they were just uneducated, untrained men. And, and aren't we all like that? Yeah, I mean, God does it through us. Look at verse 6. It starts with a therefore. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. I lay in Zion a name for Jerusalem the place where the chief cornerstone would be laid there in Jerusalem. A cornerstone in a building is that first stone that is laid down. And the other living stones, so to speak, that are stacked on that cornerstone that join two walls together. I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. It's elect, it's precious. Both Jews and Gentiles making up those two joining walls set upon this chief cornerstone, binding Jew and Gentile together. When Jesus was raised from the dead, He ascended to the Father, and we're told that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The stone that was rejected. The stone had become now the chief cornerstone. He was the chief cornerstone of all the other living stones that were going to be stacked upon it, that make up God's spiritual house. Did you know that you're one? You're one of those, if you know Him as Lord and Savior, you're one of those living stones that is in this building project. And all of these people that have come to know Christ through all the years of church history are one of those stones that are stacked upon the chief cornerstone. Peter says, this chief cornerstone was elect. It was precious. It was chosen by the Father. He will be of great value to all who put their trust in Him. He's the one who came and died, was resurrected and is seated at the right hand. He's the chief cornerstone. And all who put their trust in Him will never be shamed, will never be disappointed. Jesus, 
who was rejected by men, but became this chief cornerstone in the church. Peter reminds them of what the prophet Isaiah said 700 plus years before. He says, uh, he's quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 16. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Peter's quoting from the prophet Isaiah 700 plus years before that Jesus Christ would be that chief cornerstone that would be laid. But he goes on to say, he says, but to those who are disobedient, verse 7 says, therefore to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Peter again quotes the prophet Isaiah in chapter 8 verse 14 he says he will be a sanctuary but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the house of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many among them shall stumble they shall fall and be broken be snared and be taken Again, Peter quotes the prophet Isaiah. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he spoke of what transpired with the children of Israel in their their, uh, journey uh, as God's chosen people. He says, moreover, brethren, speaking to his fellow Jews, I do not want you to be aware that all of our fathers were under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For that drink, for they drank, excuse me, of that spiritual rock and they, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, Paul went on to say, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, listen to this, they became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all of these things happened 
to them as an example. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you're able to bear it. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. You see what, what, what that example they were to you and I? God never hid the sins of man. And even our sins will be exposed. God doesn't hide the sins of His people. And, and these become examples and warnings to you and I. That as they lived in idolatry, as they did sexual immorality, as they tempted Christ, as they complained, in the wilderness. So let them be an example to you and I. Peter says in verse 7, Therefore to you who believe, He is precious. He's valuable. He saved you. The redemptive work is precious, but saved you from your sin. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You want to be blessed? God wants to bless you this morning. He, he, he wants to bless us through His Word. Look, at, look what it says at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Very unique. The church age saints. You're a, a chosen generation. You're a, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That applies to every one of us here. A chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people. The church age saints. His own special people. When God sees the church, He sees the church age saints the same way that He had this strong love and desire for His people, Israel. God loves the nation of Israel. He still loves the nation of Israel. God's not done with the nation of Israel. But the church age saints, the Gentile age, the time of the Gentiles that we live in, God says, you're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. I love you. I love my church like I love the nation of Israel. 
They were the apple of my eye. And I love you in the same way. You once were not a people. But now you are the people of God. You once did not know mercy, but now you've obtained mercy from God. What what does God think of the church? He thinks of us as people. We're, we're, We're Gentiles. Most of us are Gentiles. And he, and he thinks of us as people that he loves. We have to read about God's just love and care for the nation of Israel. But he loves you equally. A chosen generation. You see, God from the very foundations of the world had a plan of redemption for us Gentiles. He always knew that He was going to save you and I. He had a specific plan for the church. He had a plan for Israel. He has a specific plan for the church. His church. A royal priesthood. Peter says first that we're a holy priesthood. We, we offer up our, our sacrifices to Him. But now he says that we're a, a royal priesthood. Ones who have been given, if you want to say, a special privilege. And that privilege is to declare to this world the excellencies of our God. You see, as holy priests, we enter in to the sanctuary with spiritual sacrifices to God. And as a royal priest, we go out into this world as a witness of Jesus Christ. That high priest that stood in that temple and went before the people, a representative of God to the people. The high priest. You're a royal priesthood that has been given the the privilege of going out and making known our God. You're a holy nation. God's desire was that Israel would be that holy nation. But they bowed to idolatry. They bowed down to the things of this world. And God set them aside for a period of time. God has not forgotten His people. God has not forsaken the nation of Israel. God will save a remnant of His people, but they've been, in a sense, set aside for a period of time. You're a holy nation. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. Remember when the Apostle Paul and Silas were in prison? They were imprisoned for their faith. And they began to, in that prison, they began to pray and they began to sing praises and hymns to their God. 
We're told that the other prisoners that were there in the cell, they heard Paul and Silas singing praises and praying to their God. They were being a witness while they were in prison. And then all of a sudden, the the earth begins to shake. God shakes that prison walls. The doors of those prison cells open. The prisoners had the ability now to run for freedom. And Paul and Silas, that were still in that prison, that didn't leave that prison, they heard the jailer. They knew that the jailer was, was, was ready to take his life because of the prisoners that would be getting out. Paul and Silas, they cry out and they say, do not harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're here. And the, and the guard responded to their witness. And he, and he said, sirs, he says, what must I do to be saved? And that night, Paul and Silas, in a sense, were this royal priesthood that were proclaiming the greatness of their God. Here's this jailer, this prison guard, coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They just simply had to to lift up praises and worship in the midst of their imprisonment, and God would use it. You're His royal priesthood to go out and proclaim the greatness of your God. It's a privilege, church, to open your mouth for Christ. Not every Christian does. It's a privilege to, to, to speak on behalf of your King. To go out and, and have the boldness and say, God, give me your boldness that I might open my mouth for you. That I might be unashamed. That I wouldn't run away, but I would stay and I would open my mouth for you. God desires that we would be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and then his own special people. We are a people who are God's own special people. We're God's possession. We, as God's church, we belong to him. The church-age saints belong to Him in a very unique way. We're of, we might say, a special value to the Lord. What a blessing. I ask you, do you want to get blessed? Look, Look how God perceives you. Every single one of us that know the Lord. His own special people. Incredible. We have, we have what we've been given. The holy priesthood. The royal priesthood. You know, we're all these, these, these stones. We're one of many. But each one of those stones is essential to the building. 
Each stone in that building had a part in holding up the whole thing. Each one of you has a gift or giftings to contribute in the house of God. And God wants to use you in that. Each one of those stones fit neatly together, bound together, locked together. An incredible picture of of the church. You're the church. You're the living stones that God wants to use. We're going to partake of communion this morning. I think it's, I, I love the timing of how communion came up today because everything that we read in God's Word this way, look at the communion table, the bread and the cup. You see, communion is about remembering. Communion is about not forgetting. That's why the Lord said, do it until the day that we partake of it together in my kingdom. We have the privilege. We have the boldness. We we come here as the holy priesthood to lift up sacrifices of praise to the Lord this morning and even partaking of communion body of Christ, these living stones knit together here. Some of you have heard me say that we're, we're never more close to each other than when we partake of communion. We're never more close to God than when we partake of communion and we remember the cross, remember the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to ask uh, the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask those that are going to serve communion to come up and and to take, and they're going to hand it out to you. Let's lift up our sacrifice of worship before the Lord. Let's take this time, these few moments, to acknowledge the Lord, but also to let God have His way in our hearts. You see, when we come before the communion table, we should come before the Lord searching our hearts. We should say, Lord, uh, show me if there's areas of my life that I'm holding on to, that I'm not letting go of. If there's areas of my life that need to be healed. If there's things within me that you want to fix, Lord, would you do that work in me? We never want to come into the presence of the Lord and just have a heart that just, you know, we're just numb. God, would you show me who I am? You know me better than myself. David says in Psalm 103, verse 1, he said this, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You get that? And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, my soul. And then he says, and forget not all of His benefits. Do you all like benefits? I think we do. We like benefits. 
who forgives all of our iniquities. That's a great benefit. Don't forget, church, that Jesus is Jehovah. He's Jehovah, the Lord, our sanctification. He's the one that sanctifies us by His Holy Spirit. Don't forget. Don't forget that He's the one that heals all of your diseases. Spiritual, physical. Don't forget that He's Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah heals. Don't forget that it's Him who redeems your life from destruction. It's a great benefit. He's Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Don't forget God's loving kindness and mercies towards you. Psalm 25.6 says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Never stops. Don't forget who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Don't forget that God will be and is the one who will always satisfy. We look for a lot of things that we try to get satisfaction from, and it always comes up short every single time. The things that will always satisfy are the things that come from Him. He satisfies your mouth with good things. Psalm 63, verse 5 says, My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. Don't forget the benefits that you have in Christ. As we partake of communion right now, my encouragement to all of us is set your heart right before the Lord and let God have His way. Remember, you are a holy priesthood in this place. And so we want to represent our God in that way. And so let's worship.